So I thought I thought it was appropriate to talk to one of the most controversial members of the Ruby community, Gerald's Bocut, programmer, DJ, actor, and pundit on his blog. Now, the first thing I had to ask is, uh, you have British citizenship. If I had that, I would take it as an opportunity to use a fake British accent as frequently as possible. Why not? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I... Well, actually, I have, I have the uh, the legal option of British citizenship. I've never actually gotten the paperwork done. I've got it all sitting in a box, uh, you know, kind of ready to get done, hopefully in the next month or two. Now, we'll get to Ruby eventually, but you said you intentionally moved to Los Angeles because of the sun and you wanted a warm place. Were you living in a very cold and rainy place? It wasn't Seattle, but for example, was it? <laughs> uh, actually, I come from Chicago. Uh, and uh, Los Angeles, like when I left Chicago, because I don't know if you've been to Chicago, but it gets very, very, very cold. You get this thing where, uh, like, it's so bright outside because of the sun reflecting off the snow that you have to wear sunglasses, and yet it's so cold out that they freeze your head for a bit. So, you know, you, you get inside the building, right? You're going to work. You get inside the building, and, you know, the, the change in temperature inside the building makes your glasses fog up instantly, but you can't take them off. Right? They're frozen to your head. Right, right. So you got this this moment of, you know, maybe three seconds, maybe five, where you enter the building and you go blind. So uh yeah, it's it's quite an adventure. Now you you have a separate Twitter feed where you post music every day, new beats. I think that's pretty impressive. How do is it most of that is using your your Ruby libraries, Archaeopteryx that you've written, or other things. How do you have a schedule that allows you to actually public mu- publish music every single day? Uh, well, I just um, I bought a, a keyboard um, that I'd always wanted to get, uh, and it's you know it's it's just a little keyboard, uh, but it's it's kind of a cult hit in the keyboard world. And I was like, wow, this is awesome! I gotta I gotta do this with it. I gotta do that with it. And uh, yeah, at the same time, um, I actually I bought this at Guitar Center when I uh, I went there with uh, my boss at ENTP, Courtney, and you know he was like scoffing at this wonderful, beautiful keyboard, and I was I was you know um, I felt the need to defend it, right? So I was posting MP3s of how awesome it was. Um, but anyway, after I had been doing this for a few days, I was like, this is you know uh, a good thing. I should make this uh, an official habit. When I started, I was just doing it at night before I went to sleep, uh, and this actually made me exhausted because it always took a little bit longer to make something than I thought it would, uh, and then I switched to doing it first thing in the morning, uh, and it became easier, and I was actually inspired by a Calendar About Nothing by uh, Rick Olson and Kyle Neath. Uh, and the Seinfeld idea to write a joke every day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you write something every day, and, you know, eventually over time, you know, don't break the chain. And actually, I got an iPhone app uh, called Streaks. I bought it, like, a couple days ago, which is based on the whole Seinfeld calendar thing. And I I think it's just because it's a very, very small goal, a very small, very simple goal. Yesterday, I posted uh, something that I was very not happy with musically at all, but... um, 
you know, the rules are you have to post an MP3 a day. I mean, the basic idea of this whole, like, just do a little bit every day is that it encourages experimentation because you can throw stuff away. Exactly. I, mean, I find I've been blogging less and less because I, I think I'm too perfectionistic. It's like, okay, I can't write something unless it's absolutely fantastic and I've polished it all off and it's ready to release. Or Right, right. And the, the irony, of course, is that um, the beats that I've come up with using this, uh, this approach um, have generally been better than the stuff that I created uh, when I was there, was... there was a time a couple of years ago where I just sort of like you know, locked myself at home and, and made beats all day. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't about making little, you know, MP3s. I was making full on tracks and I made a few of those into records and they didn't do well at all. Uh, and they barely sold. In fact, I still have hundreds in storage. Uh, it was a total failed experiment, but what I was trying to do at the time was just create, you know, it's got to be perfect. And I'm doing something similar with Rails where I'm doing, uh, well, with Ruby in general, where I'm doing mini apps. Um, it's interesting because the minute, um, the minute you, you have a larger task, it becomes easier to procrastinate. I, I was actually just reading this, uh, this research. Um, someone put it in Twitter and I was reading it this morning before I even got up. Um, Psychology, it's from The Economist, and basically these psychologists, they found that um, the minute you add an abstract uh, element of any kind to a task, uh, people procrastinate it, uh, people procrastinate on it uh, much, much more. It, it jumps by like 56% just by adding some, some abstract term of any kind. When I find that it's hardest to work is when I don't know what I'm supposed to do next, and you know, that's people have things like test-driven development and even just a simple to-do list to say, okay, here, here are the steps, and, and now it's no longer this abstract unknown. I mean, that's the big win of test-driven development, isn't it, right? You, you chunk things down really specifically in order to write your, your tests. You blog about a whole variety of topics. One of those is uh, just the business of running businesses and venture capital and all those kind of things. You, you recently said in conjunction with some of the acting you've done. People don't get into acting because they want to be millionaires. It's just kind of a side effect for some people who happen to be financially sure. successful and that right. programmers should have the same, or even startups should have the same approach. Do it because you love it. Do it for the thrill. Do it for to make the world a better place. That seems completely backwards from what most people expect <laughs> from a startup. Uh, well... What I really mean is that, um, you know, there's this guy who, uh, you know, it was a response to a question that I got at CUSEC. And uh, I had done this whole presentation about, um, you know, why I was more interested in building, uh, you know, my own projects and more interested in building open source uh, as a, you know, sort of career path for, for programming because the VC thing just seems like too much of a gamble. And it's partly because I read this post that uh, Regenwald wrote, you know, uh, Reg Braithwaite, uh, a couple of years ago where he was, you know, talking about the actual math of joining a startup. And basically, a startup is really only, in most cases, a good financial decision if you're, you know, if you're extraordinarily lucky and if you're one of the founders. Because, you know, the boost that you get out of, you know, if you're just you know, one of the startup employees, even like number five, is not necessarily going to be that great. 
especially when you compare it to the, you know, the hours that you put in, which are often equivalent with the hours that the founder puts in. And actually, the, the specific blog post you're talking about, Paul Graham uh, responded to it on Y Combinator and on, on his news site because it was on, you know, it, it showed up on there. I think he said, if I remember his argument correctly, that the reason he disagreed and he felt that startups were, uh, you know, worthwhile for, for people to put the time into is because he said the, the distinction was between the median and the average. He said the median startup fails but the average startup succeeds. I, I, I feel I must be a misunderstanding, but as far as I understood it, he was saying that if you go on to found several startups, you'll probably succeed sooner or later, and that the big consumer startups are, you know, less common than the small startups that sell to some other business, you know, because they are very specifically focused on the business. You know, my, my, my actual argument in the blog post was that this, this person who, you know, saw my presentation uh, this was at QSEC in Montreal, they were saying, you know, I, I don't want to put my time into open source because I want to be a millionaire. And, and so it seems to me the thing to do is to build a startup. You know, if that works for you, all power to you. But as far as I can tell, it requires doing it several times. And, I, you know, I also want to enjoy life. <laughs> I'm but, surprised that the um, number of the successful companies that we list they didn't even start out expecting for that to be profitable. I mean, 37 Signals started back uh, base camp as just something that they would personally use and they wanted to, to reduce some of their stress of deploying apps on client sites. They didn't expect to be making millions of dollars. GitHub, that Chris and PJ spent all of their They're savings trying. making another startup called FamSpam, which, you know, as, as far as I know, is it's still up. It just didn't make that much money. And and they didn't even expect GitHub to be popular. You know, a lot of these things, people didn't go into it thinking this is a definite moneymaker. There's a lot to be said for that whole eating your own dog food, scratching your own itch type of thing. Actually, that's the major strength of Archaeopteryx because I've seen, you know, similar prod products. I don't know exactly what it was. Like, I was, I was absolutely shocked because I went and got uh, a magazine, Computer Music, right? And... Uh, on the cover, you know, they give out a DVD every every issue, and it's always got some free software. And they had a free edition of this drum machine uh, called Erratic, which is uh, a probabilistic drum machine. And I went, oh, my God, no, someone's beating me to market. Oh, no. Um, but I looked at it, and it was not actually designed the way Archaeopteryx is designed. And basically... My my goal with Archaeopteryx is very, very simple, and it was informed by, I am a musician who wants to make beats. I, you know, I'm eating my own dog food. I'm scratching my own itch. And it matches, you know, my workflow and the way I think. Well, the user interface definitely is huge with all that. It seems like DJs and producers in general are a lot closer to a combination of programmers and musicians. You look at even, you know, Grandmaster Flash wiring up his own uh, potentiometers and, and faders so that he could use two turntables at once and all these kinds of things. It seems like that's, that's right. kind of the edge of, of using music, hardware, programming, electronics all together. That's, that's a really good point, actually. Um, Grandmaster Flash said something similar at around the time that he was actually building this thing, uh, which was to the effect that tinkering was part of the four elements of being a DJ, right? like building your own equipment. 
So there is, in a sense, something kind of classical <laughs> about this, right? In the sense that uh, I am just doing what Grandmaster Flash did, except he did it with wires and I'm doing it with code. Success. You talked about PHP, success of a language, kind of redefined it, saying that once a language gets to the point where programmers are just a commodity, then it's not really successful anymore. So what is success for you? Is it even possible to talk about a language being successful? Uh, yeah, the, the pH. That, I, I saw a thing this morning about, you know, um, a friend of mine saying that he wishes small talk had won. And I don't know. I mean, there are people, if, if, if you have really strong small talk skills, you uh, can definitely find lucrative work. There's no doubt about that. Small talk won a victory of a kind, you know. Yeah, I mean, the PHP thing, it's, it's not much of a victory to, uh, to turn your, your, the rates of somebody who uses your language into a down elevator, right? Um, PHP is probably the least profitable language to code in. So, yeah, it probably didn't win at all. It was a huge failure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, people, people it's accessible. This... It's easier for people to get into it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, right? I mean, it really, it, it really is a matter of perspective, right? Because there's this idea that, that every technology out there wants to dominate and, and be the number one technology. And if you look at something like Google, right? Google gets all of its money from being the number one choice. So there's a lot to that. If you look at, at Pounce versus Twitter, right? You know, it is kind of a Highlander situation. You know, there can be only one. But if you look at stuff like, uh, you know, like Basecamp, right? I, I don't think Basecamp is the only choice. And I think the reason it wins is because it's not the only choice. The situation is if you have these, if it's a social product you're selling, then you need a number of people using it. If it's a business product, you just need the people in your company and more more competing businesses could survive with the same product. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some, some markets are winner-take-all markets, and some markets are not, right? There, there are plenty of spaces where um, there's ecosystems that thrive. And I would – I mean, I'm much happier writing Ruby than I would be writing PHP. I don't know. I, I don't think um, being the most popular language is necessarily – such a win. Um, it drives your prices down as a, as a programmer. It drives your rates down. Success, if, if you get what you wanted and what you wanted was a good thing to get, then you're a success. You know, I mean, maybe it's more about the programmer individually, even, you know, you look at the economy in general. Are we in a recession or not? Well, the fact is, who cares? It's, it's about, for most people, the overall GDP or something is not immediately relevant. It's, do I have a job? Am I doing what I want to? And in the context of programming or programming languages, how do I build a career that's what I want to do with my life, both immediately and maybe for a bigger purpose? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's your life, you know? And that's the thing. I'm not saying that people who are like, Dude, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a million dollars, and this is wonderful and awesome, and this is the the thing I want to do in my life. I'm not saying people like that should be like, your emperor has no clothes. Where is your god now? You know, I'm not trying to put those people down. I'm just saying that if 
if you're a programmer and you think your options are, you know, I can, you know, either do something exciting for a startup or I can, you know, work for the man, right? I mean, there's there's a huge range of additional options, right? There's, you know, I can work for a company that does something like Basecamp, right? I can create something like Basecamp myself, right? I mean, you could do a startup with no other interest than providing something useful to people in your spare time because the, the opportunity costs for this sort of thing, the, uh, you know, the getting started costs are very, very low, right? It's commodity hardware. It's uh, open source software, which is free, right? The only, the only cost is the amount of time you put in, right? And you can also do something like what I'm doing, which is, you know, look to build an open source ecosystem and, you know, create a product that, you know, scratches your own itch. I mean, building that is, is a form of success, especially if your overall goal is to create an open source project and products from it or related to it, right? Everything that happens in open source is uh, research of a kind, right? I mean, Ruby on Rails wouldn't exist without some of the stuff that people created before it. Um, you know, PHP, you know, you could look at it as a giant research community. And in fact, there's a really good, uh, a really good pair of books that kind of do that um, in passing, which are uh, Here Comes Everybody by Clay Shirky and uh, The Wisdom of Crowds by... Um, uh, That's a great book. I, I think James Suryaki. Yeah, yeah, it's a fantastic book. Um, it really is. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you can define success any way you want. And if, I, I think building an open source community is definitely uh, is definitely a good definition. And it seems like you're definitely taking a multi-year approach to this for some businesses, they are more of the uh, every, every day, try it for a month, throw out an idea, see if it works. But but you're seeing this as more of a long-term thing. Yeah. I mean, this mini-apps thing, right? Like, I'm just going to code up whatever happens to come into my mind. But when it comes to music, I mean, I was passionate about music when I was 15. I'll probably be passionate about music when I'm 50. I, I was writing basic when I was 11. I'm writing Ruby today. I'll probably be writing some kind of code when I'm 50, you know? Um, so if, you know, that, that's a luxury I have because this is a genuine passion. Uh, and it's also a luxury you have with anything that you're doing with, uh, you know, open source software and commodity hardware, right? You can afford to take the long view because it's free. You're, you're not, uh, your burn rate, you know, to use the startup term, is infinite, Right. Like your burn rate is how much time do you have given the amount of time, uh, amount of money that you're spending, right? Well, if you're not spending any money, right, you're dividing by zero, right? The answer is infinity. So you might as well... With any uh, calculation, you have to think, well, what else could I be doing? Could I be doing something else that well, would be true. more profitable? And in, in that case, that's your competition. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And, and that comes down to a couple of things, right? Like A you know, do you know what your other options are? And B, what definition of success appeals to you the most? Well, I think that leads to my final question. You said 2009 is not going to be about learning new languages for you, but about new habits and addressing a new problem space. Maybe those problem spaces are even outside of programming, but still have an effect on it. Um, yeah, To well, yes and no. I mean, what I meant was just that... Um, that I learned more from uh, 
taking Ruby and applying it to music than I did from, uh, I don't know, learning Python. Sorry, Python. You know, so, I mean, mainly what I meant is that I'm just going to take these skills and apply them to a variety of useful purposes and see if I come up with anything interesting. But also, yeah, some of those things aren't going to be, um, aren't going to be programming at all. I mean, I'm going to look at uh, uh, doing, you know, more auditions as an actor and uh, probably, probably just be constrained to short films or maybe if I get lucky, commercials. Um, you know, but uh, I spent some time setting up, you know, a flexible schedule so that that's possible. Um, and also working on my music some more, which actually takes us back to the stuff we were talking about at the beginning, because although, um, you know, cooking up a new beat every day has proven very successful for me, um, like it, 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 it's made me better, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's just really working. Um, I haven't figured out how to turn that into a making a new track every X period of time. And that's actually very similar to this um, mini app thing because how do you, how do you take a daily habit and you know, that that's something that makes you better at what you do, right? That's something that, that you do for its own sake. How do you take that and turn it into something that also Every day I'm doing a little bit that, you know, results in a track every three weeks or every day I'm doing a little bit that results in a mini app every month, you know, something like that. So I, that, that's something I really want to figure out because I, I, I feel like I'm on the right track. And, and if, I, if I figure that out, I'll be, you know, releasing records, right, appearing in short films and commercials, you know, continuing with my, you know, open source because I, I released a bunch of, a bunch of stuff last year. And I'm hoping to do the same this year. I've got one project that I've, I'm neglecting, which is, which I, I really like. It's a repetition detector for code, and I'm hoping to build that some more. But, but I think if I, if I figure out this whole habits thing, then I'll, I'll have it where I maintain the progress in programming and, and these other things as well. So that's definitely going to take some time. <laughs> The Rails Podcast is sponsored by Pete Code Screencast, new screencast on Hamel and SAS. Also a new one coming out in the next couple of days on Objective-C for Rubyists, headed by Scott Stevenson of Coco Dev Central. Thanks also to Rails Machine for providing hosting and bandwidth for the show.